Welcome to the Leo Learning Podcast, helping global organizations move learning to the heart of business strategy. Find us at leolearning.com. Today, we've got Leo's Director of Learning, Imogen Caseborn, and Principal Consultant, Jeff Bloom, discussing compliance training, also known as mandatory or regulatory training. Hi, so today we're going to be talking about compliance training or mandatory or regulatory training as it's sometimes called. And just to be clear, we're talking about the training that goes out to multiple roles across an organisation. Obviously, some job roles will have role-specific mandatory training, but that's not the focus of today's talk. We're talking about that training, that learning that goes out to many, many people across an organisation. And I guess it's fair to say that even even in that more narrowly defined context, it can cover quite a range of topics. So, you know, the the sort of the very legal stuff, things like anti-money laundering or health and safety can be a sort of a big legal requirement. But also, I guess, sort of more general topics, things that sort of perhaps even, you know, cover organisational policy. So it can it can cover things that people know already know quite a lot about, as well as things that people might not know much about at all. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jeff. And it's interesting because five years ago, I was talking about the fact that mandatory compliance training is often perceived, it's badly perceived, it's perhaps perceived not to be working. There was a Towards Maturity report in 2012 that uh, showed that 60% of people, I think it was, were completing compliance or mandatory training. That's not a very high percentage for something that is supposed to be mandated. Um, And we also know that it often doesn't have a very good reputation, uh, not among learners and perhaps not in organisations. It's often seen as something that has to be done. Um, Learners see it as something that isn't necessarily going to be of direct benefit to them in their careers. So it's often, certainly back in 2012, it was perceived as having quite a negative reputation. So it's good to reflect, I think, now on, on where we've come from there. What what are your thoughts, Joe? Well, I think I think it's it's interesting that something that you know is often perceived as something that has to be done. Uh, maybe only you know sixty to seventy percent of people uh, can be demonstrated as having completed. I think that varies from organisation to organisation. So we do quite a lot of work with um, with professional services companies, and some of those can be very very rigorous about making sure that people complete their compliance training, and you know they'll send follow up letters and um, and absolutely make sure it's done. Um, but in those environments, there's another challenge, and, and that is that there's often a lot of different compliance topics to cover as well. Mm-hmm. So it can be even more of a burden on the learner. Yeah, and that's, that's a really interesting point that you're making there. I've come across organisations where everyone is sat down um, at a certain point of time every year and they spend a couple of days working through all of their compliance courses, one after the other. Um, some of those may be e-learning and they'll sit down and take seven or eight e-learning courses in, um, on the chop, which is, which is quite something, I think. And not perhaps what I think you or I would think would be the most effective <laughs> way of uh, engaging with that. No, and, and I think that also you know, causes learners a problem in itself because if people have to redo it every year, uh, a lot of people are going to come to that, uh, that, that annual occurrence thinking, I already know this stuff, I've done it many times before. Um, you know, and they're, they're probably effectively going through the motions in doing it. Yeah, that click, click, click next. I've talked to people who've said, I just keep clicking the next button. So, yeah, they're not taking it seriously. And I think, you know, these are, these are good people. Why are they not taking it seriously? And I think if they're being asked to do the same learning year in, year out, and that learning isn't changing, 
I think they think the organization isn't taking it seriously, although they're putting a lot of time, uh, a lot of money into it, all the time that learners spend engaging with that learning. But it's not perceived um, sometimes by learners in the worst cases that the, the organisation is taking it fully seriously, I think. Yeah, and, and I think uh, there, are, there are some compliance areas that probably don't change a huge amount. So, you know, lifting and handling training, for example, is probably something that, you know, there are good ways of lifting things and handling things that, that probably haven't changed over many years. But there's other areas that are perhaps more risk-related where, although the underlying policy and principles may not change, uh, the things that have affected organisations and the stories that um, you know people w- would benefit from knowing about do do change. Do change, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know it's important to remember that this training is training that is created to very good intent. It's it's something that safeguards the organisation and it's something that safeguards individuals. So so if um, in some cases we're getting to a place where everyone is viewing it as uh, something that they'd rather not do or that they have to do. Uh, then, you know, that's an unfortunate direction for things to have taken. Totally. And, and, and I know when I've, you know, when I've made mistakes in, in areas that relate to compliance, so whether it's health and safety when using the barbecue and, you know, being silly with it and ending up sort of burning myself or, um, or, or whether it's to sort of, you know, I don't know, doing a sort of a speed awareness course. Um, what I've discovered is the things that I thought I knew um, I didn't actually know. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. I, I didn't know you had taken a speed awareness course, Jeff. <laughs> Purely for the interest of research, obviously. Of course, yes. <laughs> Interesting. So I think there remain um, areas of great practice in organisations, but also definitely uh, room for further improvement. Um, and I think it's probably worth uh, talking about some of the things that organisations can do to lift and target compliance training. And I think one of the things that um, we, we often uh, talk to organisations about is ensuring that it's targeted. So ensuring that it's personalised because there has in the past been more of a sheep dip, one size fits all, which means people are doing training that's completely irrelevant to their job role. So it's perhaps not surprising that they, they fail to take it seriously if they think it's not something they'll ever have to do. So making sure it's personalised um, and using things like role filters to do that, and, and that can be done in different ways, can't it? Yeah, I think, I think that's, 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 that's so important. I mean, yeah, yes, absolutely, it can be done in different ways, but I think the other thing is that sort of, it's kind of where the effort lies. If, if a learner's got to spend a lot of time translating an example that's not relevant to them, uh, it, perhaps doing some learning that they're not hugely enthusiastic about into a situation that may never affect them, um, that's a really difficult sort of barrier to overcome. So the personalization thing, I think, is absolutely critical. And, um, you know, organizations do it in different ways. You know, they, they might, for example, provide a role filter if it's online learning within the piece of learning. Or, or they might control that through their learning management system. Or if they're doing it through other sort of classroom mechanisms, just making sure that the right people are on the right course and that the, the person delivering the course is going to be authentic for that, um, for that audience. Exactly. And then that's going to deal with quite a number of the issues of people feeling that it's not being taken seriously because it feels relevant to them and to, to their roles. Yes, totally. And, and I think the other, one of the other um, key areas um, that we often focus on with organisations is looking at how people requalify every year or every two years and how much you can change the material. And one option that organisations are often opting to take is to train people on these topics as part of their induction, but then to test them um, in subsequent years. And um, only if they, they fail significant you know, elements and important elements of those tests, 
uh, would they then be directed to remedial training? So the assumption there is that people are taking things seriously, that they are professionals, that they know what to do to do their jobs. But uh, just as you take your car to the MOT every few years to every year, yeah, I learned that on my speed away in his class. <laughs> <laughs> but just as you take your car to be MOT'd every year, um, you, you, you won't take it for necessarily for a full service every year. You will address those areas uh, where you find you, you actually need to pay more attention. Uh, I mean, that's an approach which um, saves learners from feeling that they're being forced by the organisation to go through training material about things that they already know and are already performing as well as they could be. Yeah, and and I think that, um, again, you know, when we see organisations that do this really, really well, they can do that in different ways as well. So uh, as you're saying, Imogen, you know, either either people can um, be given the the opportunity to do an assessment to identify where they they need to sort of refresh their knowledge. Or um, some of the organisations I'm working with at the moment, they will give people the choice as to when they do the assessment. So, for example, um, you know, make make the assessment a requirement. Um, That's often, often needed in compliance training. Um, but actually to give people the choice as to what they go through before they do the assessment so that they, you know, they, can, they can be self-directed in, in, in doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when people are, are taking an assessment in, in subsequent years to joining, I think if they're then directed to learning that they've already seen having failed elements of the assessment, they're much less likely to feel that this isn't, is an imposition on their time <laughs> because obviously they hadn't fully recalled all that information yeah. and even even if they do even if they do feel sort of uh, you know that there's an organization requirement to do this it'll be much more time efficient for them exactly and that's a very important point that you're making there i think because it's um learners don't obviously want to have their time wasted or to feel that they're having their time wasted because they want to do the best job that they can um, and there are many other calls on their time but it's also true that the organization is paying for their time so if you're training people in areas where they're already fully competent and performing to the highest level, then that's a misuse of the training budget, which could potentially be deployed elsewhere. So in terms of uh, time spent on training, being more targeted and applying more precision to your compliance offer can actually often save organisations hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah, it doesn't take too many learners to be wasting their time for these figures to sort of really, really, really rise. Really rise exactly. Up. And, yeah. and it's amazing how much if you add an extra five minutes to a course that's being done by many thousands of people, that time will really add up. Yeah. And of course, if that information is vital, then obviously it should be there. But in fact, if it's vital to only half the audience then don't force the other half through it and waste, waste the organisation's time and the time of the learners. Have you got an example of something that we've, we've, we've done that people can relate to? Absolutely. So a few years ago, we worked with a major financial organisation and what we wanted to do was revamp their entire suite of compliance training. So it had been produced over the years by different people using different techniques. It wasn't always completely clear who should be doing what. And there was a great deal of it. So it was actually sort of sitting down with all the key stakeholders and regulatory bodies and understanding uh, what really needed to be there and who it was for and doing that holistically. Um, and having done that, then introducing assessment, introducing personalization, and then revamping and lifting um, what was quite old in terms of the e learning provision, making it much more modern, making it fresher. So, a really big concerted connected uh, rework which I think was really powerful. 
And, and did it end up being a lot more concise as a result? Absolutely, and it ended up saving the organisation a great deal of money, although that wasn't the main <laughs> driver for doing it, but certainly they recouped the investment um, manyfold um, that they put into to this work and lifted the training. You've been listening to the Leo Learning Podcast, helping global organisations move learning to the heart of business strategy. Visit leolearning.com for more learning insights.